Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. This is a record of what happened immediately following Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she was going to be the mother of Christ. And as we turn there and anticipate God blessing us through his word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you've promised that those who seek you will find you, that all we have to do is knock and the door will be opened to us. You've said that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. So now, Father, knowing and trusting that in your word is every good thing, every sweet thing, every powerful, true, good thing, and that we need all of that, I pray that you would help us now to feel and know how desperate we are for you, and that we would hunger and thirst for the good things of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to read Luke 1, 39 to 56. This is God's word, and it is eternally true. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. So there's three basic sections to the passage we just read. In the first part, we see that Mary visits Elizabeth. That's verses 39 to 41. In the second part, we have what spirit-filled Elizabeth says to Mary upon her arrival there. And then in the third part, we have the glorious song of praise and thanksgiving that Mary utters in response to Elizabeth. So let's look first of all 
at the fact of Mary's visiting Elizabeth. We read that Mary made a hurried journey down from the northern region of Nazareth to the hill country of Judea to visit her relative Elizabeth, which was a journey of about 80 miles. I looked it up. That's about the distance from here to Ikea in Fishers. <laughs> I made that journey this a uh, couple of weeks ago in my car, and I was really annoyed that it took me over two hours to get there because of the traffic on 465, and just about that long to get back. But it would have been much less convenient of a trip for Mary. Did she walk there? She didn't have my suburban. Did she join a caravan of travelers who were heading south? Did her father take her? We're not told. But we know that it was a long journey in those days, and it would have been inconvenient. But she went there in a hurry. We're not told how she went. We're not told explicitly why she went. I've read some people suggesting that part of Mary's motivation was to avoid back home the embarrassment and the disgrace of carrying a, a child out of wedlock. Now, that would have been my motivation if I had been Mary. I think it would have been many of our motivations to avoid the shame and the embarrassment of the cross God has put on our shoulders to carry. But I don't think that that was Mary's motivation, and I think there's good reason to suggest why. Um, to su- there's a, something better that we see in this passage that I think tells us what she was after. I think Mary knew that a visit to Elizabeth was going to strengthen and encourage her in her faith. Now, how, do, how would she have known that? Well, regardless of whatever prior relationship that Elizabeth had or didn't have with Mary, whatever familiarity they did or didn't have, they were related, but they may not have even known one another. We just don't know. Put that aside, the angel Gabriel tells Mary about her relative Elizabeth and what God was doing with her at that time. In Luke 1, 34 to 37, Gabriel, or Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She's, he's just told her that she's going to have a baby. And she says, how can it be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, he says, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. So in order to assure Mary that what he was announcing to her is going to come across come to pass, and nothing is impossible, even this, for God. He adds to his words to her, his announcement, this extra sign, confirming sign, that Elizabeth, her elderly relative, up to this point barren, has miraculously conceived a child in her womb. So Mary, in order to have her faith strengthened, and we all want to think that because of how Mary responds, that she would not have been weak and susceptible to unbelief. But I think if Mary is like you and me, and Mary is, was like you and me, we are susceptible to unbelief, even in our believing, just as the man said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. It was no dishonor to the word of God 
for Mary to seek out the sign that God had told her about. So she goes to seek it out and to receive the encouragement of seeing it with her own eyes. Now, she could have contented herself with just word from somebody else, confirmation from somebody else, another family member perhaps, a letter from down south that, that Elizabeth had indeed conceived a child. Why did she go herself in person? I believe it was because Elizabeth is not just a sign, but a person, a sister in faith that stood a a good chance of encouraging Mary. She's in fact the only one maybe in the whole world at that time who could relate to what Mary was going through. And so Mary sought her out for the encouragement and the consolation and the help of that friendship. And there's a wonderful mutuality in this encounter that we see. It's not all one way. Mary comes seeking encouragement, but she also brings encouragement along with her. We see that Elizabeth is also receives confirmation um, from God through the visit of Mary. Without this visit, Elizabeth might never have been so filled with the Spirit as we read that she was, and without her spirit-filled words to Mary, Mary may never have written the glorious song that she wrote. What was the encouragement that Mary brought with her for Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth knew from her husband, Zacharias, that the child promised to them by the angel was appointed to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Here's what the angel said to Zacharias as he was offering incense in the temple. It is he, that is your son, who will go as a forerunner before him, the Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient of the, to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That had been revealed to them, that their son, who Elizabeth would conceive, was going to be the promised prophet who would be the forerunner to the Messiah. So, and it has also been revealed to them that even while he was in Elizabeth's womb, he would receive the blessing and power of the Holy Spirit in her womb. That had been revealed by the angel. So what happens when when Mary walks into the room and says, hi? The baby, it says, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy. By that time, quickening would have happened. She would have felt many times over the child have moved in her womb. This would not have been the first time she felt something happen in there. He'd be pretty big. Able, you'd be, she'd be able to feel significant movements. This, though, was something different than the usual. This was not little John having hiccups or stretching his and exercising his muscles in there, what happens naturally in the womb, she, it was revealed to her, she could sense and tell that this was different than that. What was John doing? Well, he was, he was leaping in joyful recognition that, this, that he had come into the presence of his Lord and Master. That's explicitly revealed to us in this text. And so think about this. Imagine that, women, that you are Elizabeth and you've received this word from the Lord through your husband 
and amazingly, you have conceived a child. But added to that promise was that in your womb, your child would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you feel him leap for joy when Mary comes in. What a comfort that would be. What an assurance that God's word was true to you. It would be such a sweet thing. So Mary comes for encouragement. Elizabeth receives encouragement. And at this point, all of the best commentators make the same application. And that is this. Fellowship, one anothering, is an incredible means of grace. God intends, has, he has made us dependent on one another. He is not just forming his son in our hearts through his word, independent of others. We can't just open our Bibles and have everything God intends for us. We, he has made us dependent on others. He's made us dependent on preaching. It is through the message preached that he is pleased to save those who believe. So he's made you dependent, made me dependent on a preacher. But specifically beyond that, he's made us dependent on our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. He's made us weak and needing encouragement. He's made us foolish and needing reproof. That's who we are. And he's pleased to give us many, many good things through one another. This encounter teaches us at least that, that there is incredible encouragement and grace from the Holy Spirit when we seek out and make use of the gift and grace of fellowship. Have you been been enjoying the testimonies that we've had in our services? One of the things that has stood out to me as I've listened to them is how often I hear significant portions of my testimony in what these people are saying, other people are saying. Now, there's always differences and unique ways God works in each of us, but there is significant commonalities between the testimony of one Christian and the testimony of another Christian. I think Ginger stood up here at some service in the past and said that the verse that, that describes her walk with the Lord and what God has done for us is something in the Psalms where it says he reached down into the pit and pulled her up out of the miry clay. And I think all of us were like, that's, that's what God has done for me too. That's my story. And it's tempting to think in our fear, in our unbelief, in our pride, that we're alone, that we're different from others and no one understands me, that no one could possibly understand what I struggle with, that they they couldn't appreciate the challenges God has given me in my life and that I'm all alone. Hey, John, could you turn this off in that monitor? Thank you. Are you with me? Does anybody else feel that? I often feel that, that there's nobody that understands me. But then I hear these, these testimonies and I realize we're just all the same. 
the essential story of our life in Christ is, is the same. We are all weak. We may look one way on the outside and present one way to, to each other, but all it takes is us be telling the littlest part of our, of our real life, and suddenly we all realize, you're my brother. We have so much in common, you and me. Now, Do you seek out fellowship? God has not, as I said, Christ is not formed in our hearts for our own good only, but also for the good of others. The Holy Spirit intends to use you in my life, me in your life. And that's mostly what small groups are about. And so, yeah, it may feel at times like an 80-mile journey on foot to get to small group to you, and to enjoy and, and bear small group. Often it could feel like a drudgery. But what does it say about Mary making that trip? Did you catch the word it uses? The same, almost exactly the same phrase that's used about the shepherds when they heard the announcement from the, from the angels. She, what does it say? She hurried. She went with haste to receive what there, what she believed the Lord had for her. Now, that same encouragement and that same spirit is at work and available at small group. And so it's not just that we need to seek it out and, and make sure that we go there regularly but it's also that we have to be eager. We have to be looking for what the Spirit has for us there and how he intends to use us, what he wants to communicate to others through us. We have to go there open, ready, faithfully seeking what God has for us. So today, we could talk about Star Wars or we could talk about what the Lord's doing in our lives, what he has done, the great things he's done for us. Which would be profitable? Which would honor the Lord? Great things could happen today in our small groups if we'll talk about the Lord and about what he's done for us. Secondly, we see that Elizabeth in, was filled with the Spirit and she received Mary in that Spirit and spoke words of comfort and consolation and encouragement to Mary. I'm going to read to you what she said, and I want you to look closely, follow along, starting in verse 42. Here's what she said. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how, was, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, okay, you followed along. Is that what she said? Those are the words that she used. But how does it say she said them? How we communicate is as important as the words that we say. How does it say she, she communicated these words? It says that she cried out with a loud voice. 
Here's what she said. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. That's more like what she said. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, I don't believe that Mary would have been a fraction as much encouraged or filled with God's spirit if Elizabeth had merely said those words in a monotone or unfeelingly. Seriously. I'm saying this because Claudio recently rebuked me and the other members of the band for how we fail to greet one another when we arrive here early in the morning for band practice. And he was absolutely right. Claudio, you have to come up here. Come up here. Thank you. You have to be me, and I'll be you, coming in late. <laughs> I'm here. You're, you're, you're here. I'm, you're me. And everybody's kind of noodling on their instruments, and the clock is ticking, and we're wondering, you know, we can't really get started because, of course, this was the Sunday we picked the song that relied on Claudio, and he's not here. And, I, and I'm, getting, I'm feeling more and more pressure standing there trying to get this thing done and pull, every, pull it all together. You're not being me. Be me. Be me right now. No, you don't even, I don't even look over here. I, I'm you. You're me. Okay. Hi, guys. Hola. Hola. No, 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 no. You're bad me. Okay. Be bad me. Okay. Real me. Okay. That's Claudio teaching me me. No, do it the whole way. I got to go to the piano. Okay. You just be me, whatever it is that I do that offends you. Okay. Hola. Hola. Claudio. This one? Okay. I know I don't do that. Yes. No. What Claudio rebuked us for is that, and what I know I do to him, is we do not even greet one another when we get here. And he said it's just incomprehensible to him coming from South America where they kiss one another and greet one another and no matter what time they walk in, mm-hmm. they love one another, right? Yes, and when, when, when you come in and when the other men come in, what do I do? You are I'm, like, I'm like this. Yes. I'm stuck in myself. I'm... I'm consumed with my own fears and worries and concerns. And Claudio is just nothing except an annoyance or an added pressure, right? Now, Claudio is exactly right to have said something about it. And what he's been teaching us to do 
is this. Claudio! <laughs> more. Yes, more. <laughs> Thank you. This is how we should receive one another. And this is what Elizabeth and Claudio teach us. Elizabeth was not full of herself. She's not thinking about herself. She's thinking about the goodness of God, the greatness of this honor that he's bestowed on her, that she, she admires Mary and wants to honor her. And so she's boisterous, she's loud. She cries out with a loud voice. She's self-forgetful. Now, I know that a lot of people in our congregation, or some people in our congregation, some people, are timid and reserved by personality, by nature, by design. That's how God made them. But a whole lot more of us, and, and me included, are timid and reserved by pride. And we need to learn from Elizabeth and Claudio and anybody who's uninhibited and proud and to how, to, how to love one another, how to be demonstrative in our love and affection for each other, how to receive one another warmly when we meet and greet. If someone says, says, First John, that I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Let's get out of ourselves. Let's love one another from the heart and receive each other, one another, warmly. Now, there's what Elizabeth how Elizabeth said what she said, and then there is what she said. And what did she say? She was eager to show honor to Mary, even though Mary was in most ways Elizabeth's inferior. She was younger, much, much younger than Elizabeth. She was, uh, Mary was unmarried, and Elizabeth was married not just to anybody, but to one of the Levitical priests who served in the temple in Jerusalem. Mary lived up in the north. Elizabeth lived in Judea, down near the city. So according to all standards of, that the world measures things by, socially and otherwise, Mary was Elizabeth's inferior. Now, what did Elizabeth say to Mary when she arrived? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Now, this is incredible when you consider that our, how our own hearts are ready to strive with others over who is the greatest. Remember that statement about the the, the disciples, there there arose a striving amongst them as to who was the greatest. And it's just incredible to me that here is this woman advanced in age, and here comes this young woman into her house, and she is falling all over herself to show her every honor 
to call her blessed and to say, it is it's just amazing. What have I done to deserve you visiting me? This is incredible. We are so quick, so quick to envy the good gifts that God has given to others, the superior gifts that God has given to others. I think there's virtually a way in each one of us that we are superior to everybody around us. That is the nature of unique gifts. God has given unique gifts to individuals in his body. And in that gifting that you, that you have and I don't have, you are superior to me. Because that's a real gift from the Lord that I don't have. And it makes you, in that sense, superior. And I find in myself an incredible jealousy towards others. I am hungry to have what you have. And to be discontent when I see you celebrated for the good that God has given you. Anybody else? like me. It's just how quickly we resent one another for the strengths and the superior gifts that God has given each of us. He's given, he's made one strong in this, in faith, and the person who's weaker in faith resents the person who has that strength. And yet we see Elizabeth quickly, eagerly showing deference to Mary, a deference that agrees well with that of her own son, John, who one day he had many followers coming out to the wilderness to see him. And John announced to them, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Are we able to to do this? Why is it so hard for us to be eager to show honor to one another? I find it hard. And I think it's because we have to humble ourselves. We have to be vulnerable towards one another. We have to confess in our celebrating of each other's strengths that we need one another. That we're not strong, that we don't have everything all together. That we depend and rely on on somebody else. And I know that that goes completely against my grain. And I think it does yours also. But let's, let's confess that as sin, that sin. What Scripture commands us to do, what Elizabeth's example teaches us, is to be ready to show one another honor. I think I wasted two years of my pastor's college training in this sin, in bondage to this very sin. I was telling this to the pastors recently, that I was in a room full of gifted men, Jake, David Abuzara, Lucas Weeks, Lane Bowman, Each of these men had wonderful gifts that they brought into the room with them. And all I could think about was that I didn't have those gifts. And they did. And I just despaired. 
thinking that that made me somehow unusable, unworthy, or rather, that's like the pious way of saying it. I wanted those things. I, I despised them for having them. And it was just miserable. And then, thankfully, God helped me repent, is still helping me repent, and, but this thought helped me. It occurred to me, God, in fact, has given me those gifts in those men. No man is an island, least of all a Christian. We're a part of a body. And the gifts God has given to the body, he has given to all of us for our good. And so the best way to get those gifts out of those men, the best way to get the gifts out of one another is to say, I see that gift, that's wonderful, praise God for it, you use it. Lead on, go for it. I'm so thankful for that. That's the kind of encouragement that's going to get the goods out of, out of the church for you. If you feel like you're not getting what you need out of the church, consider encouraging the people in the gifts that God has given them. And you'll see them that they'll just like, they'll be like Mary. They'll start writing songs. I don't think Mary would have been as encouraged, I said this, if, if Elizabeth had not been boisterous and bubbly and ecstatic and appreciative and humble and honoring. Okay, lastly, Mary's canticle, the song that she sang in response to the encouragement that she received from Elizabeth. The song of Mary here is known to history as the Magnificat. And that's a title taken from the opening line of the song, My Soul Exalts or Magnifies the Lord. Mary's Magnificat is one of the canticles of Scripture. What's a canticle? Well, a canticle, I learned, is a song, or it's a part of Scripture containing song lyrics that are not part of the book of Psalms. So there's the Psalms and canticles. They're the same kinds of things, except one belongs to the book of Psalms proper, and the other are psalms or songs that are not in that collection, but are in Scripture nonetheless. So Mary, there are a bunch of canticles, one of uh, which is uh, the Song of Moses, Exodus 19, the song that Moses um, and the uh, the others sang um, in triumph over the destruction of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Another one is the Song of Simeon. Um, We're going to have a sermon, I believe, on that um, soon. Uh, But probably the most famous is the song of Mary, the Magnificat. Now, this, this song has so many tremendous, wonderful things in it. There's just way more gold here this morning than we have time to mine. So we're just going to have to look at three pretty general things about it. First of all, We notice how much of Mary's canticle reminds us of expressions from earlier parts of Scripture, particularly the book of Psalms and Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. It's it's what's most remarkable about remarkable about this song is that it's how unoriginal it is. It is just pieces of other parts of Scripture put together and kind of strung together in an interpretive way that shows that Mary knew what she was saying and was understanding what God had revealed in his word. 
Now, what, is, what do we learn from that? Well, we learn that Mary's heart, Mary's mind, was a treasure house of God's word. She had done the work for years of putting God's word into her heart and mind, meditating upon it, studying it, thinking about it, because that's what came out in this moment, off the cuff, unprepared, filled with the Spirit. That's what the Spirit had to work with. All that good stuff of God's word was in her heart and mind there. Luke 6, 45 says, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So what did Mary, how did Mary spend her time? Hearing, thinking about God's word. Undoubted, uh, it's un, very unlikely that her family had a copy of the scriptures. So what that tells me is that she had been a very good listener in church. Listening to what was read and taught and thinking about it. This whole song that she sings shows that she's very familiar with the words of Scripture, with the themes of Scripture, with the character of God revealed in Scripture, with the promises made to Abraham, and how that all is coming together in fulfillment here and now. And so we should learn from Mary to be invested in God's Word. There should not be a year that goes by where we have not grown tremendously in our knowledge and appreciation of God's Word. If we study God's word, if we dig into it, if we invest ourselves in it, if we put it in, it will come out when it's needed. When we, how many of us, if we, if we were called upon, if we were put into Mary's situation right there, and, and, and it was our job and our duty just then to, to compose a canticle, how would we fare? I think not anywhere nearly as well as, as Mary. This is part of the reason why we're learning the Psalms as a church, learning to sing them, so that we know how to pray as we ought. Because the Holy Spirit has taught us in his word how to do that. We should study the scriptures and learn them better. Secondly, we see Mary's sincere love of God here. She talks about magnifying and exalting the Lord and, and rejoicing in him with her soul and her spirit. John Calvin wrote this about this part of the Magnificat. Many hypocrites swell their cheeks to sing the praises of God, but have no feeling in their hearts. Many hypocrites swell their cheeks to sing the praises of God, but have no feeling in their hearts. God always cares about the heart. He doesn't want our sacrifices if they don't come from a willing heart. Now the, the, the last part, the last point I want to make, I think helps us get there, helps us understand, or if we can get a hold of the last point of Mary's humility that she's cultivated in herself, then we'll understand and, and be able to sing God's praises with a sincere heart. Mary had incredible humility that's evident here in this passage. 
She was chosen by God for the high honor of being the mother of God's only begotten son, and yet she speaks of herself how? As a bond slave, as a woman of low estate. The world, in terms of the world's estimation, Mary was of low estate, and Mary did not object to that. She owned that. That was her. And she wasn't a bounder. She wasn't reaching upward and trying. She wasn't thinking more highly of herself than she ought to think. And we should learn from her how to be humble before God. Because if we can get a hold of being humble before God, then we will understand, like Mary, the great things God has done for us. So much of our lives is, is thankless and ungrateful. And that thanklessness and ingratitude makes us unhappy, makes others around us unhappy, destroys us spiritually, and corrupts our prayers. And what we see from Mary is that she had a humble view of herself, and she could not believe what God was doing for her. It just was overwhelming and wonderful. Now, what God does for each one of us in saving our souls, just like what Ginger testified to that time, he reached down to the pit and pulled me up out of the clay, is just, that is, that is wonderful, and that's what God does for a Christian. But how quickly we forget what we are. We're like people who look in a mirror sometimes on Sunday morning and remember for a moment and then we walk away and we forget. We don't cultivate a low view of ourselves. We rather think everybody fails to appreciate us like we deserve. God included. And that's how you become a hypocrite. You show up to church, swell your cheeks, but you don't have any feeling in your heart. Well, you don't have any feeling in your heart because you, have no, you can't have any feeling in your heart. You're full of yourself. And the only way to sing God's praises, to love him, is to be humble. Because when you're humble, then you're filled with gratitude at every, you're able to see, your eyes are open to all the amazing good things God has given you that you don't deserve. We should learn from Mary's humility how to love God with our whole heart mind, soul, and strength. So, exalt the Lord. Be humble and exalt the Lord. Exalt the Lord by seeking out fellowship today with other believers and opening your heart to receive the encouragement that God has for you through them. And seek to be an encouragement to those around you today. Ask God to give you his spirit so that you can encourage people around you. Exalt the Lord by being humble and believing like Mary. Exalt him by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Has the Lord done great things for you? It's just tremendous what the Lord has given us. We should be grateful. Now we're going to have an opportunity to sing Mary's song to show our gratitude to the Lord. As the men come up, let's pray.